It's always a joy to have you. We've got some juicy stuff to discuss today, having waded through the confusion of the morning. <laughs> yes, we, <laughs> uh, we, we live real life, just like uh, I'm sure a lot of your uh, viewers and listeners do. <laughs> Absolutely. It's real life, and we just roll with it. It's all good. So uh, the topic we're going to do today is perichoresis, and you may not have heard of this term. It's not like an everyday term that you, you know, just slather around, um, but it's a brilliant term, which is a lot of depth and you're going to love it. So Larry, what is perichoresis? Why are we talking about this? <laughs> well, let me give you a little background as to why, why I tackled it. Uh, I mean, I've, I've understood the concept a little bit uh, for, for a long time, but I recently went through a uh, theology class. Uh, that was led by a guy named C. Baxter Kruger. And it was an online class. It was awesome. It ran for a few months. It was like a real class, too. I mean, you had homework to do and all that kind of stuff. And not just, you know, watching a conference or something. And uh, his ministry name that he chose many years ago when he came into Revelation about Trinitarian reality, and that's a lot what Perichoresis talks about. It's, it's <clears throat> the church's, it's the word that the early church fathers mm-hmm. Uh, through the course of trying to explain, wow, it looks like when they're talking about Jesus, they're talking about Yahweh. It looks like when they're talking about the Holy Spirit, they're attributing obedience and worship and things. And so uh, one of the interesting things about looking into a word like perichoresis and its history in the early church mm-hmm. is we realize that there was a huge sort of intimate walking discovery process going on about what Jesus revealed. And so at first, you know, I think all of us are familiar with the fact that even after Jesus resurrection, the disciples were still basically expecting him to just fulfill what their previous expectations of the the Messiah come over to Rome, do this kind of stuff. And, and uh, so it, it took a lot longer for the church to nail some of these things down. And I know some people who feel like, you ought to be able to pull every single thing with absolute clarity out of the scripture that get nervous when they realize it took, in the case of perichoresis, it took almost 400 years. So we're doing word. okay, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And think of that. That also reveals the necessity in God's heart for us to work together because some of these ideas, perichoresis is one of the fundamental ones, and, and we'll, we'll talk about them in detail in a second. But that was one that, that took multiple generations of of the, the early leaders and the teachers and so on. And so nowadays, you know, if something can't be done in a in a 45-minute TV episode or at the most maybe like a six-month exercise package or something, it's not right. worth doing. This is something that took a long, long time to to understand. So anyway, yeah. Uh, So let me just kind of give a a, a start to it. Oh, anyway, what I was going to say is uh, I kind of stuck my neck out because uh, Baxter Kruger's ministry is called Perichoresis. That's the name he chose for it. And it has been for many years. And then uh, uh, each week 
we students were given the opportunity to tackle a presentation. And so I thought, oh, heck, why not tackle the one that characterizes his ministry? That's <laughs> so, right. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, if I, if I got it right or wrong or okay, yeah. in between. Yeah. So it was fun. And it, 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 so it turned out to be, it turned out to be a lot of fun. Really did. So anyway. I'm sure it blessed uh, everybody, including yeah, Baxter. So here, he, huh? I'm sure it blessed everybody, including Baxter. Oh, yeah, he was pretty encouraged by it. Yeah. I mean, he was, uh, it, it showed that, and of course, a lot of my knowledge came as a result of the influence he's had over my life, you know, for the last few years. Um. But anyway, it's a word about uh, it's it's a word about the trinitarian nature of God, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's it's uh, perichoresis. And, and I imagine when this airs, you'll be able to throw some slides up or put some notes with it. So I'll have those mm-hmm. available, I'm sure, yes. to everybody. Right. But it's a term relating to the doctrine of the Trinity, mm-hmm. and it means fundamentally mutual indwelling of persons without loss of individual identity. So let me say that again, because that's kind of an important starting point. Mutual indwelling of persons without a loss of individual identity. And obviously that is fundamentally how we, I think, should uh, understand and think about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That there are there is a genuine individual personal identity to each of the persons of the Trinity, mm-hmm. and yet they are mutually interwoven. Right. And so there's a lot of symbols for that, like uh, uh, intersecting circles, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. And it also leads to some goofy thoughts and, and challenging thoughts about the Trinity, because it's it's not something that we think we see all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's probably got fingerprints. The fingerprints of the nature of, of God as a Trinitarian are probably more common than we recognize and so that's why the study of perichoresis, the study of this is, uh, at least the consciousness of it is something kind of important for believers. So, well, it, it also, you know, it also affects how, how, you know, the relationship of Trinity with Trinity, of Father, Papa Jesus, Holy Spirit, indwelling one another, interpenetrating love. Uh, but you don't lose your distinction. So there's a Papa, there's a Jesus, there's a Holy Spirit, but they're one. And then that yes. has a, a ton of ramifications with us because sometimes you hear people talk about their language. It's all God and not me. Well, you're still a you, um, mm-hmm. but you're one with God. And so there's also this interpenetration with Trinity with us where we don't lose our distinction but we have, but we are one and we, and it's this, it's a mystery, which is why 400 years and we probably still haven't nailed it, but we're, right. we're growing in the knowledge. But, but the uh, that, you know, one of the, mm-hmm. that's a really fantastic mm-hmm. term too, mystery. Mysteries, I think we think about them incorrectly, probably to our loss a little bit. We have a tendency to think that a mystery is something that's unknowable, but that's not really true. The way the Bible uses mystery, and quite frankly, the way popular culture uses mystery, is not like, uh, most of the time, it's not like, oh, well, that's something you can never know. Uh, maybe a word like an enigma or something would be more along the line. A mystery is a real thing that is hidden for the sake of discovery. Yeah. So, and that's part of the joy uh, of it, right? Growing in the knowledge. That, that, Yes, absolutely. And I mean, in essence, that's what Jesus revealed. So 
the the thing you brought out is is exactly at the core of paraphrasis, which is the, the the diversity of of identity, the uniqueness of identity, and even the uniqueness of of interaction with each other and with us. In other words, the father is the father because he has a son, mm-hmm. and there's something intrinsic in his in the father's identity mm-hmm. that is dependent upon the son. And that's not to reduce God. Now, this was a problem uh, for the Jews because the centerpiece of Jewish philosophy is the, the Lord our God is one. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so uh, this is w- one of the, the mysteries that was revealed in the incarnation of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, even as late as the conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples in John 14 reveals that this wasn't an easy concept for them to understand because Philip said, well, if you'll just show us the Father, that will be enough for us. Right. And then Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long? And you don't realize that when you've seen the Father, you've seen, or when you've seen me, you've seen the right. Father, the Father and I are one. Right. Then he goes on to say, these words that I'm talking to you about, they're not my own words. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is one of my favorite precision word studies. These words are not my own. This is in John 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know exactly where it's 12, 13, 14, somewhere. These words are not my own. They're the Father working in me. So now this idea of of the oneness and the paracritic union mm-hmm. isn't just a matter of information about God being passed on. So, so to take up that thought again, uh, and, and this is kind of in the context of why, why you know, why this is a concept that took some learning, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we had mentioned it was almost 400 years before the term really crystallized mm-hmm. in the Christian church, which makes a lot of people nervous because they go, oh, well, the idea of perichoresis or the idea of Trinity, that's not a biblical word, blah, blah, blah. Uh, a lot. It is in all of the revelation and all the concept. Absolutely. Once uh, you see it, you can't unsee it and you see it yeah, everywhere. Exactly, exactly. And that yeah. was actually what drove mm-hmm. the early church fathers to, to try to explain it. And, um, Jesus explained it simply because he was speaking from firsthand knowledge. When you've mm-hmm. seen me, you've seen the father, the father and I are one. Um, so anyway, yeah, the part that we, <clears throat> I think we might've got cut off in is this is what presented a challenge to Israel. And to the Pharisees and leaders of Israel, because they uh, even <clears throat> said expressly, you know, uh, Jesus said, so what good deed have I done for mm-hmm. which you're trying to kill me? Mm-hmm. And they said, we're not trying to kill you because you did a good deed. We're trying to kill you because you said God was your father. Right. And so that was like one of the first clashes of uh, one's theology, which is God one? Absolutely. So mm-hmm. the, the, the Shema was there, you know, the, the Lord our God and the Lord is one. That is true. But Jesus came and revealed that there was a distinction. And so what did that distinction or the, the beginnings of the understanding of that distinction open up? Well, mm-hmm. uh, for instance, <clears throat> in the beginning of the Gospel of John, it says, no man has seen God at any time. But the one who came, he revealed him. Okay. Jesus revealed him. And so that was, uh, I mean, for instance, in the, in the history of the world, as it was experienced with God by Israel, there was a huge amount of time where all they saw was the glory. They saw the fire by day, right. uh, or the cloud by day, the fire by night, the Shekinah glory above the temple. 
above the mercy seat, but only the high priest saw those. I mean, very few people were in there. Then they, then they saw what I would call like a deductive understanding of God when he, uh, came against their enemies or when he provided the quail or did something along those lines. And the truth is a lot of us live today. A lot of believers live today as if God were completely unseeable. Right. Right. And, and Jesus, except, except for the scriptures, right? So we, Exactly, right. except for so, the Bible, and then that gets elevated. The scriptures to the point. equals God. I, I, I understand, <clears throat> you know, and I know both of us revere the scripture very, very highly. But oh, yeah. it was never designed to be a substitute mm-hmm. for our relationship with an interaction with God. Mm-hmm. But let me let, let me go to the next point that's kind of important. I think is this concept of perichoresis, where Jesus wasn't created as a son. He wasn't, you know, even though he's the firstborn among all creation, that is his relationship Uh with created. But, uh, the, the fact that the father, son, and spirit have eternally existed Mm -hmm. in relationship with one another in such unity and in such closeness that the only real word for it is one or oneness. Right. Right. That keeps the Godhead intact but it also, if you think about it, it creates space in the Godhead so that things can exist, but be literally in union. And this is probably one of the most important realizations if we start thinking about Trinity and, and, and um, the perichoretic idea. And by the way, perichoresis talks more about the, the interactive and relational nature of God right. than it does just the fact that there's three gods. It's not like a statement of tritheism. Right. Uh, that would be, you know, that, I mean, that's are all things that people thought about and, mm-hmm. and ruled as no, not, not there. This is talk, talking about what the dynamic is between the father, the son and the spirit. And that dynamic is what created a space for creation to happen. Right. That dynamic is, is what it means for us to be invited into God. Right. Uh, I had a, I was actually preaching one, one, uh, morning and I, I kind of stumbled for a second. I was talking about something relative to this and I had a little bit of a vision of being seated at the table with the God, with the Godhead. And, uh, and it was just a vision. I'm not saying it was anything more than that, but it was so vivid. And, uh, the spirit was creating this, this atmospheric dynamic that was beautiful, a lot of movement and light. The father was sitting at the head. Jesus was sitting there and there was an empty chair next to him. And he stood up and took my hand and I looked at myself and I saw kind of a feminine nature to it and realized I was seeing myself as part of the bride, the body. Wow. And, and, and he, Jesus took my hand, pulled out the chair, and I sat down at the table. Wow. Between him and the father. And, uh, it was very profound. That's really that stuck with me. It was, it was like incredible years ago. Yeah. And, and, and it, it showed me the, the, the reality of, of the space, the room that exists in God. Now, so not only does that room create a place for you and I to be in God without being mm-hmm. swallowed up, without being lost. Right. Uh, because if, if our concept of being in God was like a drop of water being dropped in the ocean. Right. Well, there's union, but no distinction, right? Exactly. You're just exactly. an amoeba. 
uh, exactly. That you're and then there's other fathers of father and Jesus, but you're in the midst. So there's this union yep. with distinction, which is interesting when you think about too. And I've totally interrupted you. I'm going to finish my sentence. No, no, I'm no, going to good. hand you back because I just totally interrupted you. So sorry. This is good though. So, um, so, uh, you know, when you think about this union, because it has such profound implications within the Godhead and how the Godhead relates to members of the Godhead relates to one another and then how they relate to us as you, as you kind of showed in that glorious vision and then how we rate, uh, relate to one another, how humanity is in Christ and, and as he's reconciling the, the world and how we're supposed to relate to one another. So, so, you know, Christ play, pray that we would be one. Is he and the father are one? Well, how are they one? Well, there's this unbreakable union uh-huh. of love and other giving submission, other giving love. Uh, but there's a distinction. So, so, you know, it's, it, this is, has vast implications, not just for a theological, just this is really interesting, has vast implications for humanity. Where is God taking us? Because, you know, um, the Trinity is, is not confused and not competing and not insecure about their position. There's no hierarchy in the Trinity. Um, and, but we have all of that. Like we are, we are a mess. And so how God's masterful plan at bringing back creation and the, and the, the preeminence of his greatest part of creation, his kids, right? And ha- having us be one and the hope that that is where we have this vast, we are dividing over our divisions and, you know, mm-hmm. and that is such hope in it. So this is very practical, um, and giving hope and life to something that's a completely God, um, God construct. Um, yeah, you know, it's his plan absolutely. for his beloved creation, particularly his kids. And so us understanding that in him and us to understand that with one another, it brings hope and context. God, where are you taking us? We're a mess. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And, and even giving us a place to, <clears throat> it's interesting where you chose to understand, giving us a place to put things that we can recognize as true, even if we can't fully analyze and understand them. Right. Uh, <clears throat> and so from a practical standpoint, what's the use of that? Well, who can describe to me precisely what love is? It's very difficult. Love's you know, a person, uh, but then try to describe the person. <clears throat> and then you're back into a mystery of eternal discovery. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't know if, I don't know if you remember that C.S. Lewis in, in the book, The Four Loves makes the point that, uh, the, the physical sensation of love is very much like the physical sensation of passing nausea. <laughs> Meaning that, you, you know, so don't remember we, that, but help enlighten me. There are these amazing <laughs> realities that we experience in a very, very limited way. Mm-hmm. But they, they come from somewhere. So one of the other aspects of, of perichoresis, one of the other aspects of the, the uniqueness, the, the interwovenness, uh, of the Trinity, but also the, the, the distinction is that things like love, which require an exchange between two distinct parties, mm-hmm. things like honor, mm-hmm. which even though there's not a hierarchy, 
it's very, you know, the, the, the son honors the father, the father honors the son in his spirit. Things even fundamental, like what we're doing right now, communication. These things are all organic, eternal realities because there is this interaction and, and dialogue and communication possible in our God, our one God, because there's three persons in there. Now, the alternative to that is if there wasn't that tripart distinction and the space and the movement and the energy it creates between them, then things as fundamental to our life as love would simply would be an afterthought or a abstract concept. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that if we had a single monolithic God who had all the attributes of God as far as authority and power and all that, that God couldn't just decide, well, I'm going to invent something called love. Mm-hmm. But it would be an abstract. It would not be eternally organic. Exactly. But the friendship that we have but with it, people. Because love requires the other. It does. It does. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's when, when you go back to this paracritic idea that forever, forever, um, and, and, and it's, it's, it's challenging for people who want to challenge it. They say, well, who, who made Jesus? Did, you know, who made Jesus? Well, that's like asking who made God. Uh, no one made right. Jesus. He's uncreated. He's always he been a son. Uncreated. Father's he always, always been, been a father. Spirit's always been and, spirit. and that right, and that's why a term like perichoresis means means so much about the fact that this is the nature of the uncreated God. Mm-hmm. So we're not we're not taking God and then breaking him into pieces in our thoughts, and then that was just done for convenience. This is the true nature. Mm-hmm. So love is something that has eternal roots. Communication mm-hmm. has eternal roots uh honor has eternal roots uh fellowship mm-hmm. has eternal roots uh, you know that's like when one of paul's benedictions he talks about the fellowship of the holy spirit right. the fact that something sparks between believers mm-hmm. when they're together isn't just a byproduct of a bunch of finite people coming together around a single idea it is a manifestation <clears throat> of an eternal reality of of what's already true exactly and that exactly. we're operating according increasingly or in that dynamic according to our original design the way we were designed exactly because exactly. god's always been in relationship he's everything's relational relational within and of the godhead and and with his his kids and he invites us to participate as he invited you in between Papa and Jesus with Holy Spirit spinning around. There you were in the midst in this relational dynamic as, as the bride, but as Larry uh, mm-hmm. in yeah. that. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think it's a beautiful thing to remember that all of us are going to retain uh, because of that, because of that reality and because God recognizes that reality, all of us are going to retain uh, our individual identities mm-hmm. it's uh, that's why christianity is not like a religion where everybody is assumed into some nirvana state or something like that mm-hmm. so part of the collective uh, and again, yeah yeah and the picture then that the afterlife has in scripture begins to make a ton of sense because it's a new heaven and a new earth and there's places where you go uh there's pilgrimages you make to the tree of life 
there's a, a place where God can sit on a throne and we can approach that. We can look at it. There's gates that you can come and go in. And, uh, you know, we do a big disservice to the revelation of scripture about eternal life and the afterlife and so on. If we, if we kind of slip back into, uh, pantheistic concepts or stuff like that, that, that are sort of a necessity in your thought if you don't believe in the distinctions. So I understand that there's a lot of, uh, room t- in how people try to understand the Trinity, how they try to illustrate it. But, uh, uh anyway, the, the work of the early church fathers. Uh, so let me run through just a couple of historical issues there too. Uh, this has to do with the three in oneness. And like I said, it talks a little bit more about the structure of the relationship than just the, the actual individual distinctions. And then let me look at this here. Well, yeah, there was something that I was, yeah. So, uh, the first recorded usage of this word was uh, in the 400s, but then it didn't actually crystallize until 750. And and so some, you know, I've talked to people that says, gosh, why so long? Why so long? Well, here's what they were working with. So uh, perichoresis is an offshoot Greek word of the word perichoreo, and that's a verb. And perichoreo is broken into two parts to help understand a little bit about how it became the concept of perichoresis. The first part, peri, is to circle or to surround, and chorea has three thoughts to it. It's to make room or space to draw in or to include. And then the other concepts of, of Korea is to encompass, to contain. In other words, like Korea uh, uh, was used if somebody built a fence around a flock of animals or if somebody reached out with a hug to draw in. And then it's also used, it, it gained an early meta, uh, metaphorical all the way back to the original times of the writing of the New Testament a metaphorical use to comprehend or understand. In other words, to get your mind around, you know how we use that expression. Wrap your mind around it. To wrap your mind around it. Yeah. So, so, uh, peri is, is, is to circle. Correo is contained. Peri Mm -hmm. is, is to circle. Correo is to include. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the beginning. And those were words a lot of the uh, uh, early church fathers used and and was even in, uh, uh, in the scripture itself. In John 8, 37, it says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants. Yet you seek to kill me because my word has no perichoreo in you, has no place in you. Mm. And so you're not allowing it, yourself to be drawn in, you're rejecting. Exactly, it. exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the, uh, in the, in the 300s, late 300s and 400s, um, Gregory of uh, Zanzian, he began to apply this word to Jesus, the perichoreo word, not perichoresis yet, mm-hmm. but he did, he wrestled with that to try to describe the two things that were in relationship with Jesus, the two natures, the humanity and the divinity. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's where it began. And then there's a guy named John of Damascus. And I'll just go into a little detail with him because it was kind of cool. So John of Damascus lived from 675 to 749. And he was a, a doctor of the church, a, a monk and a priest and a hymnographer. And he wrote a work called De Fide Orthodoxia, which is on the Orthodox face. And he's the first one to use the word perichoresis. And uh, even though he refined that word and it kind of got accepted to mean the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit, mm-hmm. the concepts through uh, Gregory the Theologian's study of Jesus, 
the concepts uh, about the, the unity of the body, all these mm-hmm. things with the word perichorea was used. So it wasn't like it was just a thought out of nowhere. It was, it was wrestling over and over again on simple scriptures that we all see and take for granted, like Jesus saying, I and the Father are one, or mm-hmm. if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, or these words are not my own, they're the Father working in me. And, um, I and the Father will, will come with you and, and will abide with you, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Christological thinking was developed first to try to explain, okay, so how is Jesus God? Mm-hmm. And then that was applied to helping understand what is the relationship then between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And, and that gets a lot of traction too. Like I still think one thing that we suffer from because we don't think as much as we probably could about the, the the oneness and then the distinction is you and I kind of came up in a in a church a, a charismatic or or Pentecostal kind of church situation where the spirit wasn't really given the credit of being one with Jesus Two, kind of subordinate kind of mm-hmm. there's that hierarchy father son spirit in spirit and then there's a, there's there's almost just a task oriented identity mm-hmm. you know giving the gifts or something bringing to mind but uh, if you remember uh, another profound thing in John 14 is is Jesus said uh he talked about the spirit mm-hmm. you know being sent that the father was in the spirit mm-hmm. and he'll send you another helper all this kind of stuff and then he said uh, and i will not leave, leave you as orphans mm-hmm. i will come to you so, in a sense, it was Jesus resurrected and ascended, mm-hmm. coming back on Pentecost, right? In union the the with mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and as many as are led by the Spirit, they're the sons of God. Mm-hmm. That puts Jesus in direct contact and fulfills what He said: "Is I'll never leave you and forsake you." At the end of the um, right. Gospel, Matthew. So it's it's really important concept. So it's so interesting. Couple, the Spirit was part of His eye. Mm-hmm. Part of the mm-hmm. I am, right? Yeah. I'll never leave you forsake so. you. Well, Jesus, you vacated. You ascended in bodily form to the right hand of yeah. the Father. Oh, the Spirit, your Spirit's here. Spirit of the yeah. Father, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you jump up to Ephesians chapter 3, and Paul characterizes the Spirit creating room in our hearts for Jesus to dwell by faith. Right. Wow. Um uh, the scripture also talks about the spirit being the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the spirit. Mm-hmm. So this is literally the relationship between the father and the son mm-hmm. that is implanted in our heart by the spirit. Again, this is where if you lose, if you lose the concept of oneness, interpenetration and distinction, mm-hmm. you, you end up sort of undercutting the relational reality and this all then just becomes sort of a discipleship kind of technique or something like that. And um, that's what we're thinking about. It's a, it's a complex process for sure. And it, it deserves more thinking. And I don't hold this against anybody, but it deserves more thinking than just being illustrated as an egg with a shell and a yolk and a white. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit. Yeah. Matter of fact, because well, that's think not interpenetrating. That's like right, layers. Right. Yeah. And the, who gets those to things be the yolk are, they, they and who's the egg and who's the shell? It's like, so anyway, yeah, keep going. It's, well, it's just better seen, you know, by, by like, uh, well, like the relationship between you and Brian 
mm-hmm. and Robert. Mm-hmm. There's elements of you mm-hmm. in him. Yeah. And there's elements of Brian in him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and th- th- those are reflections of, extensions of, in a way, mm-hmm. th- the idea of this identity. And then there's also a, a representation of, uh, of us that we make for each other when we're in union like that. Uh, and it has implications on Christ and the church. You know, Paul says this is a great so mystery. A mystery, yeah. Um, but um, I'm speaking of Christ and the church when he talks about husband and wife. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty neat concept. Um, I wouldn't, I would encourage people to not, not make an enigma out of it. If, if I'm using that word correctly, don't make it like, Oh, this is impossible to understand. Yes. Right. It's impossible to exhaust. Right. Just like love. But you're called is, to go and you grow in your understanding. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And there are things, the beauty of, of believing, the beauty of faith is that it's not required to create anything. We're, we're to use our belief and our faith to attach to that which is already real. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if, if we can settle in our mind, all right, there is a dynamic relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit into which creation was spoken into which man was created and placed. And then we can begin to understand. So did we lose, did we lose our existence in the fall? No. Did we lose our place? No, not really. Did we lose our, our functional awareness? I think so. I think so. And that is what's mm-hmm. being sort of redeemed. Mm-hmm. And the point of redemption is in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of the most profound statements that speaks of this is again in John chapter 14, uh, 20 there where Jesus said in that day and in that the thing that makes this a Trinitarian statement is mm-hmm. he's just got finished talking about the Holy Spirit being sent. And I won't leave his orphans. I'll come to you in that day. You will know. Now, this is a pretty profound declaration, unqualified. You will know that I am in my father. You are in me and I am in you. Now, we're talking one breath to make that statement. Spoken right. with authority from the only one who, who really had the capability of saying it because he's the only one who knew it and experienced it and lived it. And none of us would doubt that Jesus is in his father. Right. Why do we put qualifications in our heart on the fact that he is in us and we are in him? It's the same statement. It, well, it's that part of, um, the need for separate. It's part of the fall, which was the issue of separation in our minds, right? Alienated in our minds, right? And so we're being healed in our minds about this inner relationship of being in Christ, Christ in us, humanity in Christ, because Christ is the human for all humanity, right? Yeah. All of that. And he's in his father. And, um, and, and, and there, Part of our fallenness creates a separation where we get the alienation and torment and all of that kind of thing. And then, uh, creating other with one another. You're in, you're out, you're included, you're not included. You said the prayer, you didn't yeah. say the prayer, you know, whatever. Holy Spirit's hopped inside you when you said the prayer, whatever. We create these dynamics of separation, of mm-hmm. othering. 
And God is inclusive. He's inclusive. He's perichoretic. He's wrapping his arms around humanity and saying, you're in, are we embracing how, or how much, to what extent are we embracing? And when we, when we operate and traffic in shame, in unworthy, in a sense of unworthiness, which is a lie, um, uh, we, we end up othering ourselves. And so we, we separate ourselves where there is no separation and then that needs to be healed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think that, you know, I mentioned the fact that, that things like love have a eternal organic beginning mm-hmm. because of that. We live our lives. Unfortunately, we live our lives as if our relationship with God is an abstract mm-hmm. instead of right. something, uh, instead of something that was created to embrace both distinction and union. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and obviously, you know, uh, the fall there in Genesis, it illustrates the physical manifestation of that separation. Uh, Adam became afraid. Mm-hmm. They hid in the bushes, all this kind of stuff. But none of that, none of that speaks to how God created us or how God has retained knowledge of us. He sees us that way. Right. Uh, you know, we talked one time before about childness and how important it is to realize that God has always seen himself as our father. He saw himself as our father before he created us. So he's right. our father before he's creator. Well, that, that father relationship is intrinsic right. to God. He's our, intrinsic. he's, he's our father because we're his children because he's our father, not because we chose him. That's right. That's back. right. Yeah. He, he's <laughs> we were already chosen. So we can either agree with that or not agree with that, but it doesn't change the eternal truth that we're his children. Correct. And we can live like it or not live like oh, it. We can live it has uh, completely huge... outside the awareness of it. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not that our belief isn't really, really critical to us. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't, it doesn't inform reality. Reality it doesn't is dictate reality. Back yeah. who God mm-hmm. is, yeah. exactly. who, who God is and what his motives are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, even, even to what his nature is, uh, I, I'm always disturbed by, by theology books and I like theology a lot, but I'm always disturbed when there's a whole bunch of stuff about the attributes of God. The first, you know, let's say a book's 300 pages long, first hundred pages. And then somewhere later, they have this little thing about Trinity. You know, right. as if it's just a way to think about God. But um, I'd love to see a theology book where the very first line in the God section was God is the dynamic, interactive oneness between Father, Son, and Spirit. Because if you start there, there's room for everything, everything else. Um you know, back to the idea of the spirit and, and, and how the spirit can be either sold short or uh, elevated in our thinking to, to God statuses. Another verse is where Jesus says, uh, someone asked him, what is it uh, that we have to do to do the works of God in John mm-hmm. 5, I think, or mm-hmm. John 5, no, John 6. Uh, and he says, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he sent. I realized that a long time in my life, I thought that meant believing in Jesus, and I attached it to that belief that gets you a salvation experience. Right. But the Holy Spirit is also the one sent. And so believing in the Holy Spirit is not just something you do to try to cash in on spiritual gifts or something. Right. It is is an integral part of our relationship with God. Then scriptures uh, about how God raised uh, 
Jesus by the Spirit, how he was declared by the Spirit to be the Son of David, all this kind of thing. These all have eternal significant impact. And then, you know, one by one, the more we think this way, one by one, we get a clearer and clearer picture of both who God is and who he made us to be. It's, so it's, pretty, it's, it's beautiful. It's a big and deal. It is. It's, it's beautiful. And, you know, as we were saying before, once you start to see it, you see it everywhere. Yes. God always travels in a pack, right? So he, right. And so <laughs> you see it everywhere. And so there's this constant, beautiful, seamless relationship that flows that we're invited to participate in. And this is where we gain our life from. Yep. And, absolutely. um, and, uh, and then we're able that, that, that affects how we see humanity because these are our brothers and sisters that we're one with. And they may not know they're brothers and sisters. We're not behaving like we're brothers and sisters or we're behaving right. like we're bratty brothers and sisters, whatever that is. Um, but it's, it's starting from the place, whatever you start with. If you start from a faulty premise, you're going to run into a myriad of faulty conclusions. But the premise of starting from a, a, as, as accurate as we're grappling with and grabbing a hold with, it will inform everything else from there out. And so, uh, you know, we can go back and, 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 and say, wow, yeah, I always thought this, but yeah, but this can't be that because it's always been about this perichoretic relationship between exactly. father, yeah. son, and spirit. And mm -hmm. then I'm included in that and humanity is yeah. included in that. You know, what you just said about, mm -hmm. about how we see people, this gives us permission to see people from an eternal perspective now in the infinite, even though right. we do it. And I'm sure, I'm sure we do it. And I don't mind confessing it. We do it incompletely. In oh, but yes, we if we know, if we know that, that I don't have to blur the distinction between me and that person mm -hmm. to understand that, that we are in a oneness relationship, mm -hmm. even if there's, if that relationship is almost completely hidden, in hostility or almost completely or, or toxic. In, I mean, you know, yeah. right. And, and, uh, you know, obviously I think if, if we understood mm -hmm. the, the space, the room, the relational room that perichoresis proper understanding of it makes in God, it could, it could help heal. For instance, the cultural divide in our country right now. Absolutely. Cause we're starting from that place. You know, if we were trying to get there, if we're right. trying to get to something that's not there, you know, that it's is, kind of trying to get your healing when you're not healed. But yeah, when you're healed and it's an awakening to what's already true, if we're one, it's an awakening to what's really true. There's mm -hmm. power there that's supernatural, um, that transcends all of our programs and, and, and our, and our, our faulty ways of trying to get there. So we're trying to agree on doctrine. I don't agree with myself on doctrine. I like, you know, I change my mind. I get confused. I'm like, yes, no, yes. Yeah. Let's listen to some teaching from five or 10 years ago and see how, how no, much we, right. uh, oh my gosh, did I say that? Right. So we, so, so do we, do we, you know, rally around doctrine? Do we rally? What do we rally around? We're, we're already rallied. We're already one. And we're trying to grow from that place and awaken to that place because that actually is eternal because mm -hmm. there's not a son or daughter that didn't come from the heart of God that you're not a brother and sister with. That's and that's the correct. starting point. I believe that with all my heart. 
Uh, and, and then it changes the dynamic. I love what you said about we're trying to get to something to make it happen as if it, that's carrying the entire wrong responsibility. One that we, we ab- literally don't have the capacity to do. Um, no wonder we get hopeless, yeah. right? Yeah. Let me look up a real quick, uh, passage of scripture. I just want to illustrate. Uh, hopefully I'll get it there. Uh, I don't know if I got the phrase right. Let's see. Yeah. Here it is. Ephesians 4 3. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace. Not make a unity happen. Right. Preserve. That is a word that refers to an existing condition. It's in Ephesians chapter yes. four, verse three. And, and it's about exactly what you were just talking about. Let me read the, the part preceding it a little bit. And tell me if this doesn't apply to our culture today. Um, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. All, all of the counsel that we would give, Mm -hmm. you know, we have to be tolerant with one another. And I, I like the next guy, I get, I get uh, frustrated at the intolerance (laughs) on Twitter and all this kind of stuff, you know, (laughs) you see what this passage of scripture powerfully (laughs) illustrates that because there is a reality of unity in existence mm-hmm. and because that reality of unity does allow distinction, mm-hmm. now the counsel to be tolerant, to love one another, to be patient, that all makes sense. Right. It doesn't make sense otherwise. Absolutely. It's and, just a response yeah. to an arbitrary, it'd be nicer if we all just were softer to one another. No, no. Right. We're talking a restoration of intrinsic relationship and value. That has a bond, and it's a bond of peace where we're not warring, where we're whole, holy, whole, holy, um, mm-hmm. because we're one. That's how we were created. That's our created original design. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then wow. if you know somebody, let's say you know somebody in particular who doesn't know that, mm-hmm. and as a result of not knowing that, they're struggling uh, and coming up with their own independent worldview, their own independent sure. identities. That's not a reason for hate. That's not a reason right. for separation. That's a reason that to, to whom much is given, much is required. If we know, we bear the responsibility to, first of all, live in accordance with what we know. Right. So even if you can't be tolerant with me, I can be tolerant with you because I've got a reason for it. Exactly. And do I think, and you think, I know you do, that that the Holy Spirit is going to come in and fuel that tolerance he's going to fuel the victory of that overcoming of course i mean that, that's what that's what that's what he does that's what, that the whole, what he she does. does that's what that's the holy what spirit the, does that's the redemption of all things drawing all things to himself oneness all of that so wow you know when you say how important is it to see it mm-hmm. uh, i agree with you 100 percent. it starts with beholding it it starts mm-hmm. with understanding mm-hmm. it starts with saying hey in spite of the fact that um that you aren't manifesting kindness or tolerance or anything, uh, that, that you're looking at me as if we're enemies mm-hmm. at our fundamental core of, of relationship and identity. I know that's not true. So mm-hmm. I can stop. I can, I cannot do my part. I'm not going to engage with you as an mm-hmm. enemy, even if you're engaging with me as an enemy. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. And, and do- doesn't that exemplify Jesus's life? Oh my goodness. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's one of the things that he 
put on on display mm-hmm. even if he even when he had to rebuke the Pharisees even when he had to come sure. um, it was a source of great frustration too he didn't make the Romans his enemy right even right up at the end where he's standing there confounding Pilate and his wife's getting dreams and visions leave this guy alone <laughs> leave this guy alone right uh, yeah Jesus understood understood the the oneness of the union um, in his early messages, like a Sermon on the Mount and other times he spoke, this is way before anybody ever said the sinner's prayer. He, he, he talked about your father in heaven, be like your father in heaven. He brought the knowledge of his perichoretic union to the world. And, and that was a, a large centerpiece really of his teaching was declaring his, his relationship with the father and our relationship with the father. Mm-hmm. In the so it's kind of an important yeah. topic. It's might be might be kind of a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a joy. We are at the top of our time. This was fabulous. Always, always a wow. Always just good, yummy food, and uh, love it. Love it when you when you uh, join and share what you're what you're getting. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, and it it was a, it was a good time. Yeah, we, we had a little bit of a conversation at the beginning because uh, I've been caught up in some other things and even being able to rehearse something as fundamental as, as why these relationships of love and care and communication matter has reinforced my hope that over some sticky issues that I'm working with now as a pastor, well, there's, there's a way out because there's a way in. Absolutely. Because we started in. So yep, there's a absolutely. way out. There's yeah, a, yeah. Praise God. There's a home to yeah. go back to even if you get lost. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, right? That's awesome, Catherine. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Share this with someone and and really chew on these things for yourself. Uh, you're, You're going to grow. You're going to grow to love God more. You're going to grow to love one another more. Love yourself more. We're all we're all in that beautiful place. Thank you so much, Larry. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Perspectives with Catherine Toon. For additional information and resources, please visit catherinetoon.com.